Well, good morning to you all. As you undoubtedly know by now, Mike and Sherry are in India. They're at HBI, or the Hindustan Bible Institute, and they're affirming our partnership with them, as well as exploring an opportunity that they've invited us as a church to consider together. Now, I want to tell you that this message you're hearing from Mike in a little bit is not live. Whether technically we could do it or not, Mike is actually 11 hours ahead of us right now. Moreover, Mike isn't even actually where he is in the video. He's moved north to an area called Siliguri, an area which you heard a little bit about already in the video, and I'll tell you a little bit more about in just a second. I really want to set up three ideas today before we watch Mike's video. The first of those is to let you know a little bit about what it is that we're actually going to be doing there. Um, You may be surprised to hear this, but slavery is still a very large problem. In fact, it's a larger problem today than it has ever been in the history of human society. Some of those slaves are economic slaves. They're enslaved because of a debt, and they're working it off in a sweatshop or factory. They lack the resources to ever pay it off, and their whole life will look like this. But some of those slaves are sexual slaves. They're women and children who are sold into slavery on an average of about $100, a little less than $100 per person. And then they're forced into prostitution or pornography. Estimates on the size and scope of this problem vary. But on a conservative level, there are roughly 4.5 million women and children forced into this each next year. And since they start on average at the age of 12, I hope you hear that, the age of 12, and they're in this for many years, it's safe to say there are tens of millions of these trafficked sex slaves. Well, where do the people come from? Some of them are kidnapped. They're taken from their hometowns. They're moved very quickly to foreign areas where they're sold. Others are lured into cities with promises of jobs and false hopes. And then they are taken. Some are runaways who have hoped to find something better but run into the wrong adults. Some are recruited out of abject poverty and they've been too young to understand the education that might have helped them to know their rights. And so they have no fight in them. Well, if the problem is pervasive, if the problem is actually the third largest black market behind guns and drugs... Well, why do we go to India to address it? And that's a great question, because in many things I'd say, do what you can where you are. But in some things, I would say that the problems are bigger than we can address simply by trying to approach it as a church. So we partner. We partner with people who have inner knowledge about this. We partner with people who have boots on the ground. We partner with people with whom we've already been partnering with and who have connections in northern India, 
We partner with them because to affirm our relationship is to share with them their burdens and to go in with them on things that concern them. This particular area is one of the most trafficked zones, and if we can get in there, we could provide tremendous assistance alongside of our friends at HBI. Well, what is it exactly they've asked us to do? Long term, our hope is this. We'd love to be able to create a pathway to bring health and healing and escort some of these women out of their situation into a place of strength. Now that strength has many layers of complexity. There's physical scars to address. There are emotional scars that cut very deep. And then there's simply the lack of training and opportunity. So part of what we'd like to do is to equip people both with the training and with the microloans that would allow them to make an impact and gain independence moving on. There are no quick fixes here, but we've been asked to support and we are considering it. Well, secondly, you might ask, is this um, a challenge then for us to write checks? Is this a Sally Struthers approach to help you see something about where this situation is grave and to take out your checkbooks. It's not our heart. It's never our heart to compel you to do something other than what you might feel compelled to do because of the call of Christ in your life. But moreover, two other factors are in play. One of those is that we are in a due diligence phase. We're not even in a place where we're striking a commitment with our partner. We're at a place where we're exploring what a commitment with them might look like. What is the opportunity we might be able to create? Short term, what we're trying to do is help the children of those who are involved in trafficking. We've been asked by those who are trafficked, we've said, how can we help? And the first thing they say is, take care of our children. They're not concerned with themselves, so, you know, short term, that's what we might be able to do. But we're not asking for checks to do that because we haven't made a commitment yet. And secondly, we're not asking for checks to do that because we don't want to create a system of dedicating checks to this project or that. What we hope from all of you is a sense of trust, that the church is efficient and effective with your generosity, that the church is making good decisions and being good stewards with the ways you support the life of the church. Part of the life of the church is to run efficiently our staff, our buildings, our operations, to be good stewards of the funds. But another part is to be tithing, to be giving a portion of what you've given to us to ministries and opportunities around the world. So Mike is there exploring, but we're not asking you to cut a check to this yet. Finally, you might ask, well, why do we even get involved in this? This seems like something so far away and so different than what we should be involved in. Should we even be involved or should we just gather here? I think you know the answer to this. The assignment we've been given in Christ is never keep your head down and wait for heaven. It's never keep your head down, gather, and be safe. The call of us is to go and to make a difference, to be salt and light in the world, to be ambassadors, to have an impact. We are to tell others 
about Jesus, to grow the movement, to fan the flames of revival and revolution, to love and to serve others, especially the poor and oppressed, to look after widows and orphans. And we are just struggling to make it happen by taking care of each other, encouraging one another to love and good deeds. Our goal is to love our enemies, to forgive each other. All these things that we're called to do, this is repeated through Scripture, these kinds of calls. But it's certainly brought out in Matthew 28, a passage of Scripture called the Great Commission. And it's in this passage where we hear that Jesus says, all authority is with you, but we are to go and make disciples of all nations. The language here, the force of the imperative here, the verb here is really make disciples. The word go has more of a nuance of as you are going, make disciples. The command is to make disciples. As you are going is the simple inference that of course you're going. Of course you're doing. Of course you're moving. Of course you're looking to make an impact, have a difference. And that is our heart. So we are trying to live out the call of Jesus in our life and to do these things. Should we get involved? Of course we should. I'm going to read to you a passage from Luke 17, verses 20 to 37. As I read this passage, this is the beginning of a new idea that we're bringing to you in a series called Kingdom Come. And Mike will share a little bit about the kingdom, and I'll come back and share a little bit more. But let's hear this now from Luke 17. One son being asked about the Pharisees, or by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Oh, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. And people will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Don't go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But the day Lot left, Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like that, just like this, on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who was on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Now we'll have the opportunity to hear Mike comment and greet you from India. 
Greetings from Chennai, India, on the campus of the Hindustan Bible Institute. Sherry and I arrived here a couple days ago. I'm spending most of my time writing, working on the book for the fall series, looking at the future, and I'm excited about that. The Bible studies the sermons next fall will be out of uh, the early chapters of Daniel. All that's coming together. Sherry's involved in some projects today. She's leading a Bible study with some of the women on campus. Uh, India is a fascinating place. So many people, so many colors, so many flavors and smells. And uh, there's 1.2 billion people in India. I think we've seen about 700 million of them so far on the roads driving from the airport back here. And there's, there's 156 official languages. They're, they have 15 different scripts, different alphabets on the, the rupee alone. It's just it's so multicultural. There's so much going on here. It's a great place to be. And before I say anything else, I want to bring Varghese up to bring greetings. Many of you will remember he and Suja. Hello, Christ Church. Welcome, and thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to connect with you. I still remember many of you uh, very fondly. Uh, we are so happy that uh, Mike, Pastor Mike and Sherry are here, and we are so excited. Uh, thank you for this encouragement, and uh, we praise God for you, and thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. God is doing mighty things in India and at, at HBI. Um, uh, I pray that God will bless you and bless your church. God bless you. Well, it's great to get out of town and to see friends. It's great to get out of town and to see how big the world is and to be reminded of what God is doing. You know, the, the church in the West is in decline. We've been doing everything we can to try and reverse that, and we will keep doing it. The church in the West is in decline, but the church in Africa and in Latin America and here in Asia, the church is growing, and good things are happening. And in many of the areas that used to be mission-receiving countries are now sending out missionaries. As a matter of fact, they're sending out missionaries to Europe. They're sending out missionaries to the United States. The largest churches in Europe right now are churches that were planted by Africans. The largest church in, in Siberia right now, church planted by uh, African denominations. So there's, there's good things happening, and uh, you don't have to, you, you, not everybody has to go, but everybody needs to be in the game, and it's fun to be here and to see uh, a place where God is doing so many things. The church remains the oldest, the largest, the most multi-ethnic, multi-geographical institution, movement, revolution in the world. You can go anywhere and you see this. Uh, you can't always find a Walmart or a Starbucks or a McDonald's. But anywhere you go, you're going to find a church. And, and here in India, one of the things that, that I take away is that although the Christians are a small part of the, of the, the population, most people are Hindu, but so much of the good stuff you see, the, the orphanages and hospitals and educational institutions and relief centers and all of these things, are uh, so many of them are being driven by Christians. And of course, HBI has been on the forefront of all of that. They have uh, schools and orphanages and, and they have all kinds of charities and job training programs and microloan micro programs, all kinds of things that we have been able to partner with them in doing. Well, 
you had Luke 17 read for you. It's a, it, it is moving us into this new series on the kingdom of God, which is a big, important, lofty concept. Uh, the kingdom of God, if, if you ask a Trinity student, if you ask a theologian, uh, a definition of the kingdom of God, you're probably going to get some complicated statement about the now and the not yet and the here and the not here. And uh, if you read George Eldon Ladd's book, sort of a classic on the kingdom of God, you're going to pull your hair out. I remember as a Trinity student reading that book, I'd read it, I'd read a paragraph over and over and over, and I'd just throw up my hands and I'd go, I'm flunking this class. I have no idea what this guy is trying to say. The kingdom of God can be a complicated topic, but it doesn't have to be. A kingdom is where a king's rules apply. The kingdom of God is where God's rules or God's will is being done, whether that is a geographical area or whether that's an area like our own heart. We want to forever see more and more of the kingdom of God come, right? That's what we pray, thy kingdom come. This, this movement of God that's full of grace and love and justice and charity and all the things that, that Christ came to bring. Well, uh, earlier today, we went to the, the mountain of St. Thomas, which is where Thomas, the apostle, doubting Thomas, uh, has a, it's likely where he, was, where he was killed, where he was martyred and laid to rest. And so there's a, there's a monument there. Now you may be wondering, well, how did Thomas get to India? Well, that's the reason I went there, was just to remind myself. Right, that, that we are called to get in the game and to take action and to move forward. And that's what Thomas did. Uh, not initially. Uh, so Thomas was doubting Thomas because he wasn't there when all of the uh, apostles initially saw Jesus for the first time. And so when they were reporting, we saw Jesus. He was a bit skeptical. He said, I'll believe it when I actually see the holes in his hands and put my finger in his side. And then Later, of course, Jesus appears to him, and, and Thomas's response is immediately to fall to his knees and to say, my Lord and my God. Uh, so he was around then for a while. He hears, the final things he hears from Jesus are the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus commissions uh, Thomas and the rest of the apostles, and you and me, and says, go and make disciples. So Thomas stays in Jerusalem for a while, but in 52 AD, he travels to India to, to take the message out. He's not the first to go. That would be Barnabas and Paul. They're the first missionaries. And interestingly, they come out not out of Jerusalem, not out of the epicenter of the church, not out of the place that has all the leaders and all the power and all the money. They come out of Antioch because it's very easy for us not to go or not to engage so we didn't see people coming out of Jerusalem, but eventually Thomas does. And he heads to India, and he's here for 20 years preaching and teaching and starting a church until he is martyred. And uh, there's a basilica built there. There's a church building built where they think Thomas was killed. Now, I don't know if the, the place that's marked is, is Thomas's grave or not, but I, I went there to remind myself 
that Thomas got in the game. You do not have to come to India to be in the game. You do not have to go as a missionary to be in the game. But we are all called, invited. We all have the opportunity, the responsibility to be part of seeing the kingdom of God expand. And so we are forever being admonished to proclaim the good news and engage in good works. So I know some of you are feeling tired and exhausted. And you go, come on, Woodruff, all you ever do is tell me you got to do more. No, I hope you don't hear that. But I do hope you hear that there is an opportunity to be involved in things that are going to matter forever. I hope you are praying for this one person who you're going to love and, and bless and engage and be a friend to so that eventually you can invite them to walk along, uh, take a next step towards God. And I hope you are looking for ways to love and serve others. Well, by the time you hear this, um, our time in India will be drawing to a close, and uh, I will be leaving to head to Siliguri, where Christ Church is looking to take uh, a next step. I will bring a report of that trip back with me when we return. I look forward to sharing details with Uh, about that with you. Right now, I will ask that you continue to pray for me and the time we have here, that we can be an encouragement to others, that good writing can happen. And uh, I pray that you will press on to see the kingdom of God expand in your heart and in your sphere of influence. God bless you. Have a great week. Well, that's pretty incredible to hear from Mike over there. One quick comment to allay any concerns. Mike hasn't been watching Blues Brothers or the Ray Charles movie uh, and trying to be cooler than he normally is. The sun is so bright in India that people wear glasses all the time. And as a matter of course and as comfort, he had those on. I want to give you just three quick comments about the kingdom of God and then a final illustration. The first of those comments is that when we talk about the kingdom of God, we are not talking about sort of a secondary or tertiary comment about Jesus' teaching. I want you to hear this. This is the central core, the central purpose, the very heart of what Jesus came to do. Hear this out of Luke As Jesus is beginning his ministry, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. Hear this out of Luke 8. Jesus traveled from town to town, village to village, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. In Luke 9, he's sending out the 12 disciples. His instructions to them, preach the kingdom of God. Before feeding the 5,000, it says this about Jesus in Luke 9. He welcomed the crowd and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. In Luke 10, as he sends out the 72, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Again, he says, if they reject you, wipe the dust off your feet, but tell them the kingdom of God came near In Luke 12, we're given these instructions, the same ones from Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be given to you as well. Luke 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, until John the Baptist. 
break, and the verse goes on, since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. Jesus' ministry is about preaching the kingdom of God. The beginning of Acts, Jesus is back uh, from the dead. He's with his disciples. It says in Acts 1, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. At the end of Acts, we hear about Paul in a prison cell with one concern. It says, From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God, and he tried to convince them about Jesus. Or again later in the chapter, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God. What is the good news? What is the gospel that Jesus preached? It's the kingdom of God. Not that the kingdom of God exists. It had always existed. But that the kingdom of God was now near and even more so available. That it was demonstrated in Jesus. That it's come alive in his power. And that through the Holy Spirit we can enter the kingdom of God. That it's available and open for us to go into it. So the first thing I want you to know, this isn't uh, an auxiliary topic. This is the central message of Christ. The kingdom of God is available now. A second thing. The kingdom of God is not a heaven message as if to say, once you believe in Jesus, wait, and when you die, on your deathbed, if you will, referencing other lines, it's not a message that someday you'll have insurance. The message of the kingdom of God is about now not someday. It's about entering now. A third thing about the kingdom of God, it's about transformation. If we're going to step into the kingdom now, that means that our lives are being changed because a greater part of our heart wants to live and follow the rule and law and way of the king, of God. And as we live in that, we make an impact and we bring the rule of God, the hope of God, the vision of God, the image of God to the world in which we live. So to talk about the kingdom of God is to talk about listening to Jesus' instruction and trying to put it in action in your lives. The kingdom of God is not esoteric. The kingdom of God is not just about heaven. The kingdom of God is about transformation. And so what Jesus invites us into is a life where we abide. Not that we seek heaven, but instead we seek a relationship with God that continues into heaven. We live now in the heavenly way of relating to the Father. And as we abide in him... The promise is we will bear much fruit. We don't focus, however, on the fruit. We focus on the root, on God and his goodness and his call and his way, his word, his truth, his pattern, the model of Jesus. And so what we hear is that when we abide in him, we bear much fruit. That fruit comes from the Holy Spirit at work in us. And it's that Holy Spirit that produces the fruit of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, 
of goodness, of gentleness, of faithfulness, and self-control. We don't try to be more loving, more joy-filled, more patient. If we focus on the outcome, we miss the way it really happens. And I'll tell you, if we focus on laws and rules that help create a more loving, joyful, patient way, the kingdom of God ceases to be desirable because it becomes exhausting. Instead, what Jesus has invited us into is to walk with him, to watch him, to work with him, to experience the model of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. He calls this the easy yoke that he references in Matthew 11. He wants us to watch him and learn the unforced rhythms of grace of walking in the kingdom of God. This kingdom of God has been described like a pearl, something so desirable that when you see it, you want to sell everything you have just so you could have it. We are to desire and seek the kingdom of God. We are to see whatever we have is not worth comparing to what God is giving us in this relationship with him. And so as Paul describes this, he has a great big resume And yet he says, I consider it all rubbish that I might gain Christ, the kingdom of God. Secondly, just a final illustration, Mike has described the opportunity to get in the game. In my estimation, there are at least two types of people. I had the pleasure of watching Michael Jordan in his years in Chicago And I knew him to be one of these types of people. He's the type of person that when the game was on the line and time was short and there was one shot to be taken, he wanted the ball and he said, that's me, I want to take it. This other person I have in mind is sort of an amalgam of any sports movie with the one child who hates the idea of going out for the team. He's always been picked last. And somehow... His parents have compelled him to play on the team. So he sits at the end of the bench, hoping against hope that he never is put in the game. The last thing he would want is to be counted on for that final shot. You know this person from whatever movie it might be. This describes a spectrum. Eagerness to get in the game to the other end. Fearfulness. I want to encourage you, some of you are at this end. Some of you know exactly what you're good at, exactly what you're called to, exactly what Christ has been prompting in your heart, exactly what it is that you should step into. And I want to say, if that's you, go for it. But some of you hear it and go, that can't be me. I'm not ready to go to India, dig wells in Africa, or do anything for that matter, even talking to my neighbor across the street. I want you to hear this The world is not made of professionals and spectators. We are all in this together. And therefore, if you're in peewee league, if you're in junior varsity, if you're in varsity, if you're in division one, if you're in the minor leagues, it doesn't matter. The point is to grow and develop where you are, to put God's words into practice where you are, to practice yielding more and more of your spirit and yourself to what it is that God wants to do in you. The fact is, Jesus learned obedience. Peter denied Christ and had to learn a new way. Paul 
took years learning from the disciples before he went out and got in the big game. Grow where you are. No one would put the 15-year-old Michael Jordan on the Bulls to take the final shot. In fact, even the Wilmington High School that he was in didn't want him to take the final shot when he was 15. The point is, you practice the fundamentals. You practice what you know how to do to get ready to do what you could do with God's help and by God's power. So I encourage you, God loves you where you are, but he also loves you too much to leave you there. He wants you to experience his kingdom, his power, and his work happening through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you didn't wait for us to make the first move, but while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. And it's in that vein, Lord, that we come before you grateful, grateful for your love, grateful for your salvation, grateful for your work on the cross. But Lord, let us not wait to live in what you've promised. Let us not wait for that day someday when we get to go to heaven. Let us start today to live in the promises and purposes that you have for us. Let us learn about you, discover and enjoy you, and learn to walk with you day by day, Lord. Father, teach us, walk with us, and empower us as we go in your name. Amen.